coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Thursday to you. Another gorgeous fall, chilly fall day here in the ATL. And uh, while we are all sort of reaching for a little extra heat in our concubines, now, while not in attendance yesterday, Fulton County Sheriff Pat Labatt certainly felt the heat when Commissioner Bob Ellis called to question funds used from an inmate welfare fund for expenses that don't seem to have squat to do with an inmate's general welfare. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting from yesterday's Fulton County Commission meeting that the jail has been spending from the inmate welfare fund and... One commissioner, Bob Ellis, says that that spending was not proper. Uh, the sheriff's office accounts for about $188.7 million of our 2023 general fund budget, which is 22%. Um, and the fund's been allocated to the sheriff, again, up 53% since 2021. Um, so this has significant impact on all our taxpayers, how the sheriff runs his office, how he manages things, how he takes care of funds that are committed for public trust. And unfortunately, seem to have a pattern of lack of transparency into spending, obfuscation, um, and not really providing us with clear information to enable us to make informed decisions. In turn, I think we wind up not being responsible with taxpayer money or funds that are entrusted for Fulton County government. And Harry S. Truman, I think, had a statement that said the buck stops here. I feel like every time that we raise questions and so forth to the sheriff, it must be something that sits in front of his desk that said, give me time so I can find someone else to put the blame on or pass the responsibility on for my own failures. This particular item, we'd requested this information related to the inmate welfare fund on October 9th. Um, we got it in a paper form late, I want to say, on October 30th, so I doubt most of us saw it until yesterday. Maybe some of us didn't see it because it came into the government office. If you're not down here, you may not have seen it at all. First person that got this information wasn't any of us. I want you to think about that. We've been requesting it since October 9th. The first person that got it wasn't us. It went to a reporter, and he had a staged interview with this reporter. Think about that. Think about that. Um, here's some backdrop on this particular fund. You're in 2020. The balance in this fund was $10.36 million. And again, this thing about this fund, it does what it's, what it was supposed to do before is for the benefit of inmates. Improve the conditions at the facility, clothing, attire, you know, toiletry items, those related things, okay? That's what it's supposed to be for. Year in 2020, fund had a balance of 10.36 million. The revenue coming into it, or revenues that come in for this are related to commissary sales and telephone usage for the most part. The expenses at that point in time under the prior sheriff were $1.77 million. Year in 2021, 
That balance had grown to $12.93 million with the revenues of $6.47 million and expenditures under now share of $3.05 million. We didn't get a year in 2022 audit annual report, but I do have information I've been able to get from sources other than our sheriff, which appears that a year in 2022, that cash balance is going to dip from 12.93 to 8.92. The revenue is probably somewhere around the same, or a little bit less, but the expenditures will have jumped to 9.18 million versus 1.77 in year in 2020. Now we got this information in a paper form, not an electronic form, not something you could sort, whatever. So I added these up on my own for what we are through 2023 year to date. And it looks like expenditures of $6.1 million through 2023 year to date. And you look at the detail on, on, on these expenditures. I mean, clearly they're not, they're, they're not proper. Um, and they're not proper under an inmate welfare fund. They're not proper under any fund, several of these things. Promotional events, the inn at Serenby, professional fees to a law firm, tuition payments, conferences, umbrellas and hats, giveaways, commerce club, DJs, the Wild Hog Supper, luncheons, photo booths, jugglers, all kinds of consulting fees to certain named individuals, who knows what those are for, how much they've been vetted. We have full-time full chaplains that are employed and they're paid through our general fund, but yet there looks like there are chaplains that are paid through this fund, about $8,000 a month, maybe. There's vehicle purchases of at least, looks like about, I don't know, I, didn't, I wasn't able maybe to add them all up, but well, well in excess of a million bucks. Um, I'm told one of those is an $84,000 Tahoe that the sheriff drives around in. So I guess these would be in addition to the 169 vehicles that have been purchased since the sheriff has taken office. So there's no excuse for this. This isn't oh, somebody made a mistake. As far as I know, the sheriff probably countersigns all these checks. At least that's the way they're supposed to be structured. So you should have knowledge of it. And this, this is a pattern of no, of, of this, this, as I said at the beginning, this is a pattern of no trans transparency and obfuscation and blaming others. We've had this discussion whether it's the why can't we move inmates to ACDC? Oh, Atlanta's restricting me. Oh, I don't have the staff. Overtime issue at the jail, identified. Oh, let's fire, the, let's fire some individuals. Bad things come out about deaths at the jail. Let's fire, fire, fire the jailers and other staff. Oh, I could have done this if y'all gave me all the money, Board of Commissioners, if blame the Board of Commissioners. It's just a pattern. But 
this is pretty blatant, you ask me. Um, I mean, you can call it what you want to. Um, and there are some legitimate purchases, certainly for things that were inmate welfare in here, but there are a lot of expenditures, large expenditures, which I don't think by any means could be justified. There's a notation, there's a, the sheriff had, had put, sent us, you know, a cover memo on um, detail saying, oh, they've gone through an audit. Well, let me just say, this is not, this is a gap audit. Gap audits don't look at what was expended, go verify each and every expenditure, who made the sign off on it, that sort of thing. Gap audits basically are classification audits. Is the cash there? Is it, is it current assets listed, current liabilities properly classified? Can we verify that there's this amount of cash? That sort of stuff. It's a very limited look. We've done no audit in terms of are these expenditures legit? Did they actually, were the actual services were actually paid for, actually provided? So I am going to ask for and call for a full audit by our internal audit staff of this fund, of the expended, all the expenditures in this fund, and that he engage a forensic auditor if he needs to do it. And I think that we should suspend all expenditures from this fund until we have a clear policy and procedure in place that we understand and that the citizens understand. And then we have something that is restricted to the purposes of this, our capital improvements, items for inmates, recreational stuff. I mean, other counties have these funds. They put them in there, and they generally reserve them for capital improvements and that sort of stuff at the jail. I'm told that we have a problem with repairs and that sort of stuff that are needed at the jail. As I understand that, we've had a persistent problem with that. And lo and behold, we, it turns out we had a fund that's got six million bucks a year coming into it. And a lot of the money associated with that is going to stuff that don't have anything to do with it. <clears throat> it's unfortunate we're having to have this kind of continued conversation and ask for clear information. And it's unfortunate we continue to just have a stiff arm when it comes to our request for information. Commissioner Abdurrahman and I brought forth this accountability resolution with certain things. <clears throat> We've still yet to really get Routine, a routine, clear report on all the elements of that. When did we pass that, Commissioner? Maybe August time frame? Is that July or August time frame? Jail utilization. We've committed significant funding around. We said, I said, you can go find me on record. I said our number one priority, going back to prioritization of budgeting, was to get retain higher detention officers. And we've asked for clarity and, and report back on that month to month about where we are with that and those expenditures that we asked to be committed to it. We can't get a clear answer on that. We have a discussion around any of that rather than, you know, it's some it rather than take ownership of it and why it is is oh, you know, we can't pay enough or they blame HR for moving too slow. All again, 
always somebody else. This isn't somebody else. Sheriff needs to take ownership and accountability for this. This was a fund that he's had sole responsibility for monitoring and making disbursements out of. And we need to get to the bottom of what we're seeing right here and why it looks like this. And it needs to start, I believe, with a deep dive by our internal auditors and then setting forth clear policies and procedures around any future expenditures of this fund. Rather damning accusations, right? Well, nobody from the Sheriff's Department, including Sheriff Labatt, were there. However, Commissioner Marvin Arrington did push back. We'll give you his response when we return on The Ron Show. The America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Sparks flying at a recent Fulton County Commission meeting, in fact, yesterday. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. We are covering the back and forth here. Commissioner Bob Ellis insinuating that millions had been spent improperly from an inmate welfare fund, a fund that the county attorney herself said is to be used only for what are to benefit, quote, the welfare of persons who are committed to the jail. That is County Attorney Wai Su Zhu telling the county uh, that the ordinance establishing that fund requires all that spending to benefit the welfare of persons committed to the jail. Bob Ellis went through a laundry list of items that were spent from that fund, including a million dollar for vehicles. Inmates can't use vehicles. It, it, but by the way, which included a Chevy Tahoe driven by Sheriff Patrick Labatt, which Ellis said cost $84,000. He also pointed out $8,000 a month to chaplains, though the jail's official chaplains are paid from the general fund as well. He read off a laundry list of DJs and events held at uh, Serenby and this, that, and the other that do nothing to benefit the welfare of the inmates. And so he called Sheriff Labatt to task for that, wanting an audit. Commissioner Marvin Arrington rebuffed and stood up in some respects for the sheriff. Take a listen to this response. I think there's no question that some of these expenditures should not have been approved or should not have been made. I think our sheriff even admits that and has terminated or said that he's terminated two people as a result of this, of these expenditures. I think we need to be careful as we talk about other elected officials and how they perform their job and their duties. I certainly don't want anyone trying to tell me how to run my office and how I should perform my duties. Certainly, I think we do have to be financial stewards, good financial stewards, and we need to make sure that money is being spent appropriately. The sheriff is a constitutional officer, state constitutional officer. I don't know how much control we have over Money's controlled by a state constitutional officer. I've only been doing this for nine years, and I'm certified by University of Georgia and Association of County Commissioners of Georgia. Everything I've been taught over the last nine years is that once we give money to a constitutional officer, we have no more control over that money. Wow. 
and that the only time we can control money is come budget time. In this case, we're talking about a fund that is managed by the sheriff, and my understanding, Commissioner Ellis, Vice Chair Ellis, is that there is, in fact, a policy regarding this money, and that there is supposed to be a committee comprised of the sheriff, the chief jailer, and the chair of the commission. Apparently, neither the sheriff nor the chair knew that they should have been on this commission and should have been approving these expenditures. So whose fault is that? Is that the sheriff's fault? Is that the chair's fault? I mean, the chair is supposed to be on the committee. Why doesn't he know he's supposed to be on the committee? Why doesn't he know he's supposed to be reviewing this? Is that the county attorney's fault? Is it the county manager's fault? Is it my fault? Should I have known? Should I have told the sheriff and the chair that they should have had this committee? Whose fault is it? I mean, while that's a valid question, you still have to look at the expenditures and say, at the end of the day, the department head, who in this case would be Sheriff Pat Labatt, has ultimate responsibility on expenditures. And if he is seeing these expenses being used by pulling money from a fund not meant for those expenses, ultimately, he's the one that has to answer to that, though, right? Commissioner Arrington continues, though. Let me ask a more relevant question. Who cares whose fault it is? How do we move forward? I don't give a shit whose fault it is. How do we go forward from here? What does the rule say? There's a committee... We, we'll have plenty of time to point fingers and assess blame later. But how do we move forward right now? See, my job as a commissioner is not to talk about someone else and how they conduct their job, particularly not another elected official, particularly not a state constitutional officer. My job is to figure how do we go forward? How do we limit our liability from here? I have time. We'll have plenty of time to point fingers. Guess what? It's an election in May. There is an election in May. We don't have, we don't have to point any fingers at anybody. The voters going to decide what's going to happen. What we need to do is to look at how we move forward. And it makes no sense to me that rather than talking about how we move forward, we're more worried about who we're going to blame. Well, guess what? There's enough blame to go around for everybody. District 2, Commissioner Ellis did respond. Commissioner Aaron, I appreciate your apology for the sheriff. Um, and I can speak up and I can talk about misuse of spending because that what it is what I was elected to do is to monitor taxpayer spending, how we obligate money, how it's used, and did it go for its intended purpose. And I will do that every day of the week because my, my constituents, my voters that elected me are asking me those questions. And I'll continue to ask those questions. One of the oaths I took when I went into office too, I've gone to classes, I've attended sessions, is when there are misuse of funds, potential misuse of funds, questions need to be asked. Transparency needs to be provided. I don't care if you're a constitutional officer, the president, the pope, or whoever you are. So those questions are gonna continue to be asked and answers should be given. And when we have someone whether they're a constitutional officer or other elected official, and that the way or that they are using the funds 
in which we obligated to them, and they create potential more liabilities for us because things haven't played out like we intentionally funded for, i.e., more detention officers, getting beds at ACDC and our other facilities filled, and decreasing utilization of the main jail. When we don't get answers to that, we don't get action on that, we're obligated to do it. Count this among one of those few times where I'm listening to a Republican, Bob Ellis, and going, yeah, no, he's right. No, Okay. Ooh, that sounded funny. It felt funny. But he's right. You've got a fund meant for the welfare of inmates. And if the money's being misappropriated, we need to find out who is responsible for that misappropriation. Now, to his defense, Commissioner Natalie Hall did say that Paul Labette contacted county finance officials and asked for an audit himself. PJC Group is already performing an annual general audit of the sheriff's office, and an internal review is happening, too, she said. I'm reading directly from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim Gaines' article on that. We'll have that in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so you just heard me for two segments basically cheering on a Republican. That's right, Republican Fulton County Commissioner Bob Ellis wants to know why money set aside for the welfare of inmates and I, listen, we're not talking about ice cream socials and inflatable parties or anything like that. We're just talking about needed upgrades to a jail that everyone seems to agree Fulton County needs a new version of. And while there seems to be some question about who's in charge of that fund, apparently the Fulton County Commission Chair is supposed to be looking in on that as well as the chief jailer and the sheriff, who at the end of the day, that's his budget, that's his oversight, and I believe he's the one that actually has the signature on it. At the end of the day, as, as Bob Ellis said, where's the Truman sign, the, the, the President Truman sign? The buck stops here. Anyway, uh, while we're on the topic of the Fulton County Jail, Maya Prabhu uh, dropped this about an hour ago, Headline officials say people arrested are spending too much time in Fulton County Jail. And remember, we were just talking, in fact, we talked about this yesterday with Don Kelly with uh, our uh, the uh, New Disabled South and New Disabled South uh, Political Action Committee that uh, Fulton, not Fulton, Georgia Republicans are looking to add more misdemeanors to seek cash bail for. So if you think people are spending too much time in the Fulton County Jail or jail period now, oh, well, just you wait. Maya reports detainees are spending nearly 10 times the amount of time they should be held in the Fulton County Jail, officials told a Georgia Senate panel earlier today. People who have been arrested are spending an average of 295 days in jail. Amelia Joyner, general counsel for the Fulton County Jail, told a Senate committee tasked with investigating issues at the facility. The average number of days experts say a detainee should be kept in jail is about 30. Let me let you hear that again. People who have been arrested are spending, on average, 295 days in the Fulton County Jail. And the average number of days experts say a detainee should be kept in jail is about 30. The article continues, the panel was created last month in response to news that a 10th person died just this calendar year while being held in jail. Arrestees are kept in jail for long periods for many reasons, Joyner said, such as being charged with crimes that don't allow a judge to set a bond, such as a murder, or they don't have enough money to pay a bond and be released. 
Did you hear that? Or they don't have enough money to pay a bond and be released. Back to the article. Joyner said the jail houses inmates from all of the county's municipalities, the Georgia State Patrol, Marta Police, and sometimes Grady Memorial Hospital. She said because of that, we've come to realize that the Fulton County Jail is its own city, adding that the jail currently has about 3,000 in custody. She said it is not a mere building or a set of buildings. It is a microcosm of the community. Well, that's sobering. Back to the article, Senate Public Safety Chairman John Albers of Roswell said it was important to remember that many people, by the way, John Albers of Roswell, his Fulton County Commission uh, vote, or Fulton County Commissioner, Bob Ellis, Senate Public Safety Chairman John Albers said it was important to remember that many people being held in jails have not been found guilty. What is going on in the world where I'm sitting here going, all right. When two Republicans from North Fulton County be spitting. I mean, they're talking some talk, y'all. Here's what he said. A lot of people have lost their lives and we can't ever have that happen. We will make sure that process of criminal justice from beginning to end is working properly. (laughs) This is two Republicans that I'm kind of like nodding along with. What is going on? Are we in the upside down? Back to the article. When Albers asked what the jail would need to alleviate its problems, Joyner said it could use a new building, more staff, and more funding. Well, the more staff and more funding could somewhat be contributed to with that inmate welfare fund that's being rated for an $84,000 Chevy Tahoe. And the the DJ and the parties at Serenby and other uh, hobnobbing events that, for some reason, that fund is being rated for, right? Correlation. Causation. Back to the article. Joyner said the jail could be a dangerous place. <laughs> yeah, 10 deaths this year, right? Of the 10 deaths, he said two were homicides. Four were due to natural causes. Three were caused by overdoses. And one more death is thought to be caused by an overdose. So of the 10, six, preventable. Of the inmates in the jail, as of Thursday, Joyner said there were 435 people who'd been charged with murder and 1,016 charged with aggravated assault. She said 114 have been charged with misdemeanor offenses. Misdemeanor offenses, y'all. They're in jail with murderers and aggravated assaulters. 114 misdemeanor offenses. Now, getting those folks out of the Fulton County Jail doesn't alleviate overcrowding immediately. It doesn't, it's a drop in the bucket, really. You got 3,000 in a place that I think is supposed to comfortably hold 1,000, 1,200, maybe. Anyway, Joyner says, while this all seems insurmountable, our team continues efforts and we recognize that we did not cause our population and we can't fix the systems, systemic problems with the criminal justice system. Here, here, man. We work on these to decrease the population and to provide as safe as possible conditions for the detainees within our care in our custody. By probably reports, Georgia senators also got a crash course in the mechanisms and operations of jails, hearing from representatives from the Georgia Sheriff's Association and the National Institute for Jail Operations. Officials from both and the Fulton Jail said that housing people who should be under psychological care for mental health problems, 
is a huge issue. You hear that? Officials from both groups and the jail, Fulton County Jail, said that housing people who should be under psychological care for mental health problems is a huge issue. So as I mentioned earlier, we had Dom Kelly on, uh, co-founder, CEO of New Disabled South and New Disabled South Rising, where we talked about cash bail and how our prisons have become de facto mental institutions without the actual treatment for the needs for those suffering from mental challenges. Uh, I also wanted to ask you your thoughts on uh, the Georgia GOP's push now to broaden its cash bail program by adding, you know, even misdemeanor offenses like trespassing, uh, you know, uh, to, to the cash bail system. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Um, we adding more crimes to, uh, to the list of things that you have to be able to have financial means to, 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 um, you know, get out of jail. Like that, that is, um, that is further criminal criminalizing things like houselessness. It's further criminalizing mental illness. Um, it, it, you know, I, I am someone who fully believes that we should end cash bail. Um, we, we have a history in this country of criminalizing poverty and that's exactly what this does. And I think about the disabled folks, especially those with, with mental disabilities who are caught up in that, who, um, disabled people live in poverty at twice the rate of non-disabled people. So if you are somebody who can barely put food on your table, if you don't have a roof over your head, if you know, any number of things that one might be experiencing, especially which is exacerbated if you have a disability, you're going to get caught up in that system. You you may you may steal some food because you don't know how you're going to eat tomorrow, and then you have to figure out how to come come up with thousands of dollars to get to get out of jail. I mean that is that is a system that is working against the people who really need help the most. Um, so th- this is not to me this this is cruelty for cruelty's sake and and it does nothing to actually improve crime to actually uh to actually change any of the circumstances that people want to change in this in this regard it reminds me of an old saying uh i'm trying to remember who coined it where basically the, the thought basically was you know being poor is expensive but i i would add to that being poor and having uh, you know any sort of uh, disability or special need is is even more so oh yeah Absolutely. It is, it is extremely expensive. And oftentimes folks with disabilities who are receiving, you know, social security um, disability, if they're receiving Medicaid, um, they have asset limits that they're not allowed to have a certain, uh, any more than a certain amount in their bank accounts, which actually precludes them from doing things like getting married because their spouse's income would result in them losing their health care, um, situations like that. And so oftentimes you're having to spend more money to, uh, you know, to get access to basic things. Um, you know, the, it, so it, it is extremely expensive to be poor. It's extremely expensive to be disabled. And when you couple those together, it's, it's, it's a wonder how anybody is able to actually live, especially now with how expensive everything is. And remember, we're, 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 we're in a snapshot of political culture where the uprisings of 2020 and the, the, the crime spike due to the COVID pandemic, or not due to, but during the COVID pandemic, uh, are, are what politicians who want to be tough on crime uh, are, are pointing to when actual crime data shows that we have been in steady decrease for the last two, three years or so. But 
they still want to get tough on crime. And, and again, the GOP wants to push now to add cash bails to uh, misdemeanors like trespassing, which, as Dom pointed out, that really targets homelessness. Back to Maya's article. The creation of the Senate panel came as some Republicans have sought to punish Fulton District Attorney Fonnie Willis for initiating a wide-ranging election interference investigation that led to indictments against former President Donald Trump and 18 others. Their colleagues, State Senator Sean Still, a first-term Republican from Norcross, was charged with taking part in a pro-Trump slate of electors in an attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who was at the announcement, could also face criminal charges involving his role as a Republican elector. Senate Majority Whip Randy Robertson of Catala, good old Randy, Republican and former major with the Muskogee County Sheriff's Office, who, by the way, left that job, I believe, in disgrace, had an affair with a, a co-worker's spouse, but didn't, that's not a misdemeanor, so it's not relevant. Uh, anyway, he pushed back on the notion that the investigation was political. This will not be a political podium for anyone to come and speak about what their beliefs are, he said at the beginning of the hearing. My intent is for this to be an educational process for other senators so that all of us on this committee have a better understanding. Now, again, that is the same Randy Robertson who we were able to cite in an article back in February from the AP. Georgia senators want to require cash bail for many more crimes than under current law, a move that the bill sponsors say will keep people from committing additional crimes. Guess who the sponsor is? They're, these are not mistakes. These are not unintentional acts. They're, these are people choosing to violate the law. Senator Randy Robertson, a Catala Republican, said of people he is targeting with Senate Bill 63, which passed in a 31-21 vote. Now, that was last General Assembly session, and it did not work, but they are trying again with Senate Bill 63, which would add dozens of new offenses, such as trespassing and forgery, would require cash bail to get out of jail. This, again, Maya Prabhu reporting, and we gave you this story last week. The bill sponsor still... Senator Randy Robertson, a Catala Republican and former major with the Muskogee County Sheriff's Office, who I pointed out he had an affair with a co-worker and left in disgrace. Anyway, he uh, said his bill aims to ensure that people who have been arrested and released on bond return from their trial, saying, we want to make sure they show up in court and make sure victims are assured their day in court, also so they don't have to sit at home and wait because somebody has absconded out in the wind and they have to sit there feeling no justice at all. The same Randy Robertson who sat in a hearing today listening to why the Fulton County Jail is so overcrowded. I'm just kind of fascinated when those who are contributing to the problem are also sitting in on meetings trying to figure out how to solve the problem. <laughs> also, it's 2023. Do we not have alternative ways to handle this? House arrest? work release, suspended sentence, diversion programs galore, community service. Man, I, I've said this. I can't, y'all, I can't tell you how many times. And, and these are just the things that I think about when I'm stuck on an interstate in traffic. In fact, I was stuck on I-20 coming back from showing houses today. And I'm sitting here just looking at these sound barriers that are just overrun with kudzu. And uh, the graffiti just spray painted on barriers and overpasses, et cetera, and so on. And obviously we don't seem to have the fiscal means to address this sort of stuff. And I know it's just beautification, but 
this is all kind of a mentality. You think there's a reason why homeowners associations go above and beyond to make sure that the aesthetics of their neighborhood are on par with their expectations. It's a psychological boost. It makes you feel like you lived in a cared for community. It makes you feel better about your surroundings and it, it actually boosts potential development around you. Businesses want to set up shop in areas that aren't rife with graffiti and kudzu. And we're sitting on we're sitting on work detail fodder here that could be put to work instead of put to jail. Just one little solution right there. All right, when we come back, Six Flags merging with another amusement park company, and I'm already hearing some words about cost savings that makes me fear that the experience is going to pay the price. When the Ron Show returns, here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show, final segment for Thursday. Hey, I thought I'd share this story. It's, I don't know, just maybe a little bit of an itch on my part here from the Associated Press. Michelle Chapman reporting that Cedar Fair and Six Flags are going to merge to create a powerhouse, amusement park powerhouse, in North America. They're going to create this uh, expansive company with operations spread across 17 states, three countries, and of course we have a Six Flags location here in Atlanta, which has, you know, had attendance issues. And as I think we as a society start to get a little bit more interested in getting a, a better experience out of our getaways, whether it be families that come here to Atlanta to spend a weekend to take in a Braves game, go to Six Flags, maybe check out Stone Mountain Park. You know, that's a nice... A uh, little array of stuff to do. We we did that when I was a kid all the time. We'd come here for the weekend, Stone Mountain Park, maybe taking a Braves game or taking a Braves game, go to Six Flags the other day uh, or same day even. Oof. I don't think my parents had that in them. But this combined company with more than $3.5 billion will boast 27 amusement parks, 15 water parks, and nine resort properties in the U.S. Remember now, we have the water park uh, as well. Oh, by the way, that is U.S., Canada, and Mexico, the three countries. Um, it'll also have entertainment partnerships and a portfolio of intellectual property, including Looney Tunes, DC Comics. We've gotten more than enough superhero movies of the last decade, right? Uh, oh, and, and the Peanuts. Like, I think the Peanuts are kind of an untapped resource. Uh, amusement parks have, been an, uh, have seen an uptick in revenue, according to the article, but have struggled to raise attendance since the pandemic, even as other entertainment sectors have bounced back. A tie-up between two huge players is expected to at least lower costs. We'll see. Cedar Fair, uh, Fair reported an attendance of 12.4 million guests in its third quarter, 1% increase from the year before. Six Flags announced a 16% rise in its third quarter attendance, which totaled 9.3 million guests. But amusement parks, including Six Flags, have struggled to get people through the gates, according to James Hardiman at, uh, at City Investment Research. He says... Whereas the theme park industry as a whole has been under significant pressure since the start of the pandemic, Six Flags has created additional pressure of its own with a volatile new attendance and pricing strategy that has struggled to take root, alienating its core customers and leading to dramatic drops in visitation along the way. The article continues, Six Flags and Cedar Fair 
which have little geographical overlap, anticipate $120 million in cost savings within two years of closing the deal. Six Flags and Cedar Fair have talked about potential deals before, with Six Flags previously making an offer for Cedar Fair in 2019, but it was turned down. SeaWorld approached Cedar Fair with a bid last year, but that proposal was also rejected. Under the agreement announced earlier today, Cedar Fair unit holders will receive one share of common stock. Blah, blah, okay, I don't care about that. Our merger with Six Flags will bring together two of North America's iconic amusement park companies to establish a highly diversified footprint and a more robust operating model to enhance park offerings and performance. That from Cedar Fair CEO Richard Zimmerman. Very much a prepared statement. Um, what will be interesting to see, it, honestly, listen, I'm a little bit of a theme park junkie, just a little bit. I have to remind you, I lived in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for about 11 years, and it was early on when I moved there that there was a theme park being built, Hard Rock Theme Park. This sounded like an amazing concept, right? And Myrtle Beach already with its 14 to 16 million annual visitors every year, you would think this is this is a, like shooting fish in a barrel. It's just a, easy. It's a slam dunk. Nope. First of all, the park was uh, built a bit small, not just footprint-wise, but ride-wise. And their response was, well, it's a theme park, not a ride park. Okay. Well, people weren't willing to pay $50 a ticket for a theme park that didn't have a whole lot of rides. Hard Rock Park went under in less than one season. It was closed before the end of the season. It reopened, I want to say, a year later uh, under a different name, Freestyle Music Park with no branding. It was very, it was just generic music theme park, and it too did not do so well. Now, that's a, a little bit of a different uh, scenario than what Six Flags is going through, but I, I happen to think one of the things that I think uh, hobbles Six Flags and probably the, the Cedar Fair attractions as well is unless you are in a year-round destination market where you can have year-round employment, and by that I mean full-time employment, you are at the whim of part-time employee base. And I'm going to sound like the old man. Get your, get, your, get your Frisbee off my lawn. I'm going to sound like an old man here. But it's so hard. And, and the folks at Chick-fil-A have cornered the market on this. It is so hard to hire good, young employees who are engaging and totally bought in on the theme of the theme park. It's really hard. You've got to pay them well. You just do. And I know... We want to talk about oh 725 when I was 725 an hour for what these kids. Yeah, but the problem is if you if you don't reward kids, you don't reward young people, college students, high school students, with a summer job that not only makes it fun to be at, but also worth their while. I'm rubbing my fingers together, making the money sign. Make it worth their while, you're gonna get what you pay for. So I'm reading that Cedar Fair and Six Flags and their merger are going to do all this cost savings, and I'm already immediately concerned about what the product's going to be like. And the product isn't just the ride, and it's not just the attractions and the shows and the animatronics. The attraction also includes the employees who greet you 
with smiles and are totally bought in on whatever the theme, uh, the area of the park that they're in, they're totally bought in. I hope Cedar Fair and Six Flags, whatever they're going to call this new, this new mongoloid uh, business, this new corporation, I hope they're bought in. But I hope they get buy-in from the young employees that they're going to be packing their theme parks with. And I hope that they are going to compensate those young employees enough to expect a reasonable return on that investment. That's something to watch next time. That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more at ronshowetl.com. We'll see you tomorrow.